With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. It's a podcast about Scottish football, but since there's no Scottish football to talk about, we're looking at some of the cool and interesting things we've been getting up to during the lockdown. It's a pop culture podcast, Jim, but not as we know it. (laughs) My name is Craig Telfer, and I am joined by three men from varying stock. The first was with me last week, but is suffering from a crooked toe. It's Robert Borthwick. Hello, Craig. How are you doing? Fine. The second is making his return to the show, but he has no hair. It's Andy Harrow. Hey, hey. And the third is making his first ever appearance on a podcast with me, but insisted on pushing this recording back because he had to pick up a click and collect order from his local supermarket. It's Tom Watt. It's not all rock and roll. Hello. People, people look at the terrace and they think, those guys must be getting so much ass so much tail, it's unreal. But we, you know, we have to do the shopping as well. You know, we've got, uh, we've got gout, we've got steroids. You know, it's, it's not all, it's not all tail. Absolutely, absolutely. You've got to keep these things ticking over. You got to, got to get your vitamins somewhere. And this, this is true. What better to get them than from a Tesco in the south side of Glasgow? Anyway, if you've listened to this show before, you know exactly what's coming up. We talk about something we've been enjoying. We talk about something we want to send into the fires of hell. And we also review a movie. And this is something I'm particularly looking forward to. But we'll come to that. We'll start off with something good. Tom, what will go to yourself first? What have you been enjoying during the lockdown? Uh, Mark Lanigan's book, Sing Backwards and Weep. So Mark Lanigan, singer of uh, Screaming Trees, uh, sometime Queen of the Stone Age, solo artist, Recorded with Isabel Campbell. He's done a bunch of cool stuff with Uncle. Like, but what a life. Um, it's, like, it's like full of rock and roll debauchery and the like, but it's not like 
the dirt where they all seem like hugely irresponsible, awful people or like walk this way or hammer of the gods where it's excess. He just seems like everything hits him and keeps hitting him and it's so bleak. But actually it's quite nice hearing about someone having an absolutely shit time uh, during lockdown. There's a chapter in it which is something like the first six months of 1994. And I'm thinking, right, uh, yeah, you know, everyone's had it rough for the last three months. And um, he says... his record label lost the album that he'd put all his personal money into. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's rough. (laughs) And then the next thing, a couple of weeks later, uh, his best friend is Kurt Cobain and uh, Kurt Cobain kills himself with a gun given to him by his by Mark Lanigan's flatmate. And you're like, Ooh, yeah, I can see. Yeah. I can see why it was rough for you. I can see why it it wasn't great. And he also happened to be dating uh, Kristen Pfaff from uh, Hole at the time who a couple of months later was found dead in a bathtub. So he had a rough night before, and um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed wallowing in his misery. And, and Liam Gallagher recently bodied him on Twitter. Yeah, he, I mean, he, 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 you can imagine there are a lot, what's a nice way of putting this, a lot of people will refute some of the stories in this because um, he doesn't really take any prisoners. He like, apparently the story was Liam Gallagher um, said something to him about like the name of the band Screaming Trees and called him a junkie. And so Lanigan's gone after him saying, you know, he wasn't that much different and they should square go. These are men in their, I don't know, they're both in their 50s. But I would, I would pay to see it. Um, yeah. Was it not so that Matt Lanigan will say something like you're about to enter a world of hurt? So like he a says, guy who's never been in a fight, the, the sort of language somebody who's never fought before would use well, when they want to fight someone. He he, if if you believe his book, he fought a lot, and there are like there like there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of like YouTube clips from early Screaming Tree shows when he used to like throw bottles into the crowd and then jump and start fights. I don't think he was a, I don't think he was in a happy place, and I've not yet finished it, so I've not got to the stage where there's some form of redemption or yeah. if there is any form of redemption. But um, yeah, it's it's very good. It's not like it, it's not a glamorous, like, you know, like Motley Crue's The Dirt or, or Hammer of the Gods or anything like that, Walk This Way, where it's like either people that have been sort of taken off the path because they were too young or anything. It's like bad people where bad things happen to them. It's not like I slept with thousands of groupies. It's like I had sex with a homeless woman for crack. Uh, and that was one of his better days. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the Guardian. Uh, talking to the Gallagher thing, uh, I read the Guardian review of it, uh, and it mentioned the quote they had about Gallagher about being uh, in quotes reckless, witless, and despotic, and an unbearable minor league dictator. Uh, in my thirty-one years on Earth, I had never encountered anyone with a larger head or tinier balls. So there you go. <laughs> There's a lot of it. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of. Uh, pointing fingers at people that he really doesn't like and he does name names so if you like that kind of thing uh, highly recommended Andy Harrow what have you been enjoying? Uh, I've been enjoying uh, cooking so I I was going to go with um, ESPN's 30 for 30 series but I, I actually have enjoyed cooking more I, I, I if, you, if you let me to my own devices and I used to when I lived by myself I, I wasn't a good cook like I would I would easily just have kind of chicken dippers and potato waffles um, and passed on, you know. Uh, but the last... I can't um, believe there was a buck coming there. That sounded amazing. <laughs> I mean, I still, I still do it now and again. <laughs> but um, 
I, uh, I really got into cooking maybe about two or three years ago. We started using Gusto, which I know um, some of you are doing, and just because it was kind of easy and we were just getting sick of eating the same thing over and over again. Um, and that was good for just getting a bit of practice of uh, trying new things and, and cooking things. So, and since then, I've, we've kind of moved away from Gusto. Some of the recipes we still use, but uh, I've started using, uh, well, the book I go back to all the times, uh, Ottolenghi's Simple. Uh, have you heard, do you know Ottolenghi? Have you heard of him? Like a, I think he's Jewish, London, uh, sorry, Israeli London uh, chef. And he's got um, a restaurant or a couple of restaurants in London and maybe some elsewhere. But his, like the flavours in his food are all uh, incredible. So there's kind of Middle Eastern and obviously um, kind of come from Israel. There's some of that influence as well. But the, yeah, the flavours are incredible. Uh, uh, but the the simple book, like, I think a lot of his stuff, the early books they had had like ninety recipes. You know, each recipe had about ninety ingredients, and they, they were like, you know, you've got to find zatar and you've got to find Raz Al Hunu and all that kind of stuff. That like, sounds like a question in Final Fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a section in one of them like. I'm glad you've raised the tone from where I started on. This seems like much higher brow than what I was talking about. But there's a section in one of the cookbooks that's like things everyone has in their I don't know if it's like parlor or larder yeah. or cupboard, and it is stuff that's like I don't even know what these words are. <laughs> yeah, there, a, there is a lot of that, and there is a wee, there is a bit of that in um, in that simple book. But it, but the point of it is, it's supposed to be a bit more straightforward to to cooking. It maybe only uses about ten ingredients or whatever. Hmm. And it is like the, the I would I would totally recommend it if you're into cooking and into trying different stuff. And it's not it's not um, like I would say I'm a bit more of a confident chef now uh, but if I can I call myself a chef <laughs> for two people a night counts me as a chef but I'm a bit more confident at cooking and um but it, and it's fairly straightforward like it's not too bad and I've kind of moved on to a couple of his other books now but yeah I would really recommend it if you want something like there's like a pomegranate and uh cauliflower salad which is amazing there's like a couple of the chicken things are incredible as well I would I would recommend it if you're wanting to try something else that it's a wee step up from, from kind of uh, yeah, chicken dippers and potato waffles, which there's nothing wrong with. But if you're wanting to try something else, I would I would recommend it. I like that sort of step up from chicken dimmers, dippers is pomegranate. That's not just a step; that's like a special <laughs> story above that. But not fair play. So next time, we're, uh, Andy, I hope to be invited to a dinner party at uh, Shea Harrow at, uh, at some point soon. Uh, Robert Borthwick, what have you what what, what have you been enjoying? So this is something that I've got a, a really sort of indifferent love-hate relationship with. But more recently, um, because I, I've, 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 uh, I've got the worst feet on earth, uh, I'm not able to leave the flat. So I found myself playing a lot more football manager. Yeah. And right now I am right into I mean, I'm in deep on football manager 20. Um, Tell so, us, I know, I know sort of football manager is one of those things that's only, a lot of times, only really interesting to the person who's whose team is so if you're talking about your team you're only really doing it for yourself because you want to talk about it nobody's really interested but Robert this is your floor tell us about your football manager journey that's what we want to hear very briefly though very briefly um, so I uh, started the game unemployed uh, with like no coaching badges and Sunday league experience and I'm currently the manager of a team called Thor in Iceland um, and having taken them to an Icelandic Cup an Icelandic League Cup promotion to the top flight I'm now going for the title uh, with a team full of SPFL jobbers uh, such as Clever Di Camora and Cody Cook so <laughs> it, it's 
it's going very well. But I, I think for me, like it's it's more around football manager generally. So like football, like I've I've been playing it off and on since oh one oh two. Really, in fact, I think I had two thousand two thousand and one uh, was the first one that I ever had. And it's something that um, it, it comes and goes with how well you're doing. And I, I've always been very fickle when it comes to football manager. So if I'm doing badly, I'll just fucking, I'll quit. And I won't play it for months. And then I might come back to it. But I think during lockdown, that uh, that cycle has become a lot shorter. You know, I, I might have done badly. But then two weeks later, I'll be back on. Yeah. I'll be doing all that kind of stuff. It, it, it is kind of literally like heroin. It's like only of interest to other people who are interested in it. <laughs> and you can give it up, but you will think about it. You will come. I'm seven years clean. I haven't played since 2013, maybe 2014. And I've, had, I've been tempted a lot in lockdown because it's, it's always there. It's part of your DNA. I wonder yeah. how many good albums have been written on Football Manager. Oh. <laughs> like that, the lead singer-songwriter. Is he, is he, is he going to make it to the studio today? Nah, man, he, he's, got, he's got his Icelandic set. <laughs> <laughs> an Icelandic cup. We're not going to see him. I'm the, I'm the same, Robert, with, with Football Manager. I started a game. I, I bought it. I hadn't, I hadn't bought it for a number of years, but I bought it. I think it was like the first week of lockdown and I started a game with Queen's Park. I thought Queen's Park would be a good team to go because they were going to turn professional. Sorry, they were going to, they were going to sell Hamden and uh, sort of become like a, a, a basically a professional team, semi-professional team, paying money because I think that Queen's Park as an amateur team is a bit unfathomable. I think that's probably too difficult a thing to try and achieve. But if you, they are semi-professional, at least they can sort of rise through the ranks. And I got Queen's Park into the... The, the the Premiership got them into the, the Champions League. Um, it would be very unrealistic. I got told by an associate, um, an associate who we all know, uh, that, that there'd been a, a, some an inconsistency at the game that had meant Queen's Park, when they sell off Hamden, you know, they'll, they'll make like a, a fairly, like a couple of million pounds to sell off Hamden. In real life, that money, I mean, the first team will see like a percentage of that. But in this game, like, I had a transfer budget of like, £250,000 and a wage bill of £35,000 in, in League One. You know, that's, that's, that's unfathomable. In fact, Queens, in fact, I'm saying it's unfathomable. Queen's Park getting to the Champions League itself is unfathomable. But when you go on a bit of a losing streak and you're trying different stuff and it's not coming off, that's the sort of time you say, right, that's, I'm going to take a break. But it's, uh, it's like, once I thought I was up, they pull me back in. You know? <laughs> it's just, aye, for, for me, it's... Uh... I can I can start playing it at like say six p.m. and then before I know it, it's midnight. Yeah, it's, and it, it's it's really at a time when um, all I'd be doing otherwise is looking at my phone or looking at social media. It's actually a really nice escape uh, that I can then sort of go away, do that, not think about anything, and then it's time for bed basically. So yeah, I, I've got a lot of time for football manager right now. It's, it probably uh, it's is sort of that one more game. You know, if if you if you lose, that's kind of like just. Just, just one more game. Let's just, 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 just try and try and get that win. Aye, you You've got a win. Then you can save it. Then you can go to your bed. Then if you win, you're like, oh, I'm on a bit of a roll now. Uh, <laughs> it would be, it'd be bad to stop. But I might as well just have another game. Uh, and then aye, it's, it's so, so addictive. But uh, I am, I'm, I'm currently in love with it. But I could be on this podcast in two weeks, and it will be the thing that I'm not into. Um, it's that sort of, that sort of thing with football manager. To do uh, press conferences in your head, I, I haven't played yes. Super Manager in a while either, but I used to do, that was kind of thing that sent me to sleep, was doing my imaginary press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> I assumed me to sleep was uh, answering generic bland questions about how my team would get on. Yeah. In my head. Uh, and you do feel an overwhelming sense of pride 
about like when young players come through. I do yeah. feel like you do feel like they are your babies. Like a, a regen who's like 17, 18 and breaking through the team. I, I'm not leaving. Like the, the team might not be good. I might have a better offer, but this guy, this guy's a star. Let, let, let me tell you as well, in the Icelandic leagues, uh, the regens have the most incredible names I've ever seen. I'm <laughs> even more attached to them. I've, uh, I've currently got Egil Daddy Asbjornsson on the left wing. <laughs> I adore the big guy. The thing that I've been enjoying, and this is only really a recent thing, is uh, the Talking Sopranos podcast. I don't know if anyone's had the chance to listen to it at all. I've not listened to it yet. I've, I've seen it. Yeah, Sopranos? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Watched it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, well, that's the rough to a good start there then. I just got sort of blank looks in the Zoom there. I'm listening to the Talking Sopranos podcast. Just show uh, but well, Sopranos, for my money, it's the, the greatest TV show of the last uh, 20 years. In fact, the greatest TV show I've ever seen. Certainly not a controversial opinion at all. I imagine there'll be a lot of people that will share the same view. Um, and I think perhaps now with the lockdown, and we're talking like football manager, cooking, going, reading books, there'll be a lot of people will be going back into box sets again. So I imagine Sopranos and The Wire, Breaking Bad will be the sort of the Game of Thrones will be the big ones that people will be going back and, and revisiting at the moment. And, and talking Sopranos has probably not come around, at a, couldn't have come around at a better time. Uh, it's made by Michael Imperioli and Steve Shiripa, who play Chris Moltisanti and Bobby Bacaleri respectively. And what they do is talk for about an hour, an hour, 20 minutes, and they talk about an episode of The Sopranos. So I've only listened to three so far. So that was um, the pilot, uh, is it long or down, a lot long, 46, and denial, anger, acceptance. But they're, they're superb listens. The, the two guys have got a real rapport with one another, as you'd expect for people who'd worked together for, on such a culturally important show for, for like almost a decade. And it's, it's just great fun listening to their experiences. You learn a lot about like the, the writing process, the acting process, why certain things were done like their relationship with other actors in it. And it's just so good. I mean, it's, it's so rich and, and, and detailed. And if you like The Sopranos, then it's, I'd, I'd highly recommend listening to it. I've seen, uh, I've seen a lot of people talking about it on, online. Uh, I've not actually got around to listening to it yet because I'm listening to the, uh, the Scrubs version um, of, of that kind of podcast. I think there's only, there's only so much space for like edgy TV shows, really, that I can have. Uh, and I've, I've picked for Scrubs this time. But um, no, I've seen a lot of people talking about it and, and it sounds like they sort of go through not just the, uh, the TV show, but just sort of culturally other things as well. You know, they go off on tangents and they can talk about um, sort of moments during filming. And, and Aye, all you're right. It's because Steve Shiripa didn't join the show until the second series. Bobby, ba- Bobby Abacaleri didn't come out until the second series. So a lot of the, the time they're talking about, like he is asking Michael Imperioli question about, tell me what, what, I mean, it started the pilot when, when it starts off with, basically 15 minutes of it, Michael Imperioli's sort of career up until that point. I mean, he played Spider in Goodfellas. You know, not a, quite a small role, but he gets shot in the, get shot in the foot and then murdered by uh, Joe Pesci's character. Um, and so it's talking about his career and it's talking about how, what led him up to, to, to being in Sopranos. So you learn, you learn a lot about the sort of the, the acting process and it's just really good that, you know, they, they work really, really well together. And it's, uh, I, it's uh, highly recommended, but, I was thinking a lot about podcasts, and I think this is there's probably never been a better time nor a worse time to, to actually start up a podcast. I mean, I suppose this is different because you've got one of the most celebrated television shows of all time with two of its biggest stars making a podcast, so that's obviously going to have a lot of attention. But I'm thinking so about you and I, Andy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about like uh, I'm thinking about like football, like like football podcast. You know, there's never been a better time to start a podcast, but then there's just think like, conversely, there'd be so many of them, and, and with people. I mean, I listen to podcasts when I'm commuting, and you think I'm not commuting anymore. So when are you going to listen to them? So there's probably a lot of stuff out there. Probably a lot of it's quite good. But I wonder if there's still the audience is, is there to, to, to listen to these things. There was an there, there was an article in it uh, I read a week a couple of weeks ago, and I think it said something like only twelve percent of the UK listen to podcasts, which seems mental because I kind of assume everyone I, I know listens to podcasts. But I actually don't think that is the case. And yeah, it's still like a, a kind of surprisingly small number actually have found their way to podcasts or, or specific podcasts. It's kind of I weird. Think, I it's, it's been around for so long now, I thought it would be, especially given how many there are now and how many big names are kind of doing podcasts, but it still seems weirdly a bit niche. When the people, there's, there's also was stats a couple of weeks ago um, about like the people who do listen, listen a lot. Like the, I don't know if it's, it's probably an age thing, um, but the people who do listen, like listen an awful lot, and they're also weird about how they classify it. So a bunch of the BBC ones aren't classified as podcasts; they're classified as, you know, catch-up shows. Um, but yeah, the, it, it's weird. There was some stats out a couple of weeks ago about like pe- how people's behaviours changed, and uh, they're listening to an awful lot more radio, but they're streaming less music. And they're streaming, like in just in general, like streaming on Spotify has dropped, but people are listening to radio more. I think they just want human voices. So I'd imagine podcasts are the same. Well, let's, let's hope that's not the case for this podcast. And let's hope hundreds of thousands of people tune in to listen to a bunch of jobbers talking about uh, podcasts. That's very meta. Um, anyway, sorry, nevertheless, I began to, to sort of imagine an inception, a podcast within a podcast within a podcast. And then a, a kick mechanism and, and us and all in a van in slow motion falling into a river. Anyway, well, we've, we've talked about these things we've enjoyed, but like for every for everything uh, good, there's also something bad. Let's talk about things that, that we haven't so much enjoyed. Andy Harrell, go to yourself. What have you not been enjoying? Yeah, so I wasn't sure what to go with this until last night when I watched Joker, which I was not really a fan of. Uh, so, I mean, I think everyone probably knows the story by now, but... Basically, Joaquin Phoenix is a version of a Joker called Arthur Peck, and it's set in kind of Gotham. Arthur Fleck, the, sorry. Sorry, what was that? Arthur Fleck. Arthur Fleck, sorry, I've said Peck, yeah, you're right. Uh, Arthur Fleck. Um, well, I just didn't want all the DC fanboys uh, <laughs> get them off my case. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, Gotham is obviously based in New York, and it's a kind of Gotham in the 1980s. It's, it's got a bit of a kind of nods a lot to Taxi Driver and uh, King of Comedy. Um, and I thought, it, when the when the trailer came out, I thought, oh, this looks quite interesting. It looks like something, a different take on what we've seen. It's, it's different to a Marvel version. Um, you know, the last version of the Joker we had was that terrible Jared Leto version in <laughs> a Suicide Squad, which is awful and um, hard to believe he actually got away with that. But I thought, oh, this looks interesting. But the reviews are a bit patchy when it came out and it kind of put me off a wee bit and I only just got around to watching it last night and I was I was disappointed generally with it. I think uh, Joaquin Phoenix was very good. Uh, I mean, I think he's always pretty solid, but you know, he's such a physical kind of performer as well. He looked yeah. stick thin. Um, very crooked, but, but like the way, the way he yeah. carried himself. 
yeah, it was all kind of elbows and uh, knees and things. But I, I, uh, I thought he was decent. I thought the the set design was great. I thought uh, mm. Gotham looked kind of particularly grimy, um, and like it fallen in hard times. So the cinematography was good, and I thought the the score was pretty solid as well. Um, it sounded a wee bit like um, I don't think it was, but it sounded a bit like uh, you know War- Warren Ellis from Nick Cave's band who does some of that kind of assassination of Jesse James and um, the road and things like that. There was a wee bit of a, a western vibe to it, but I just found it unbelievably bleak. Like, it was just kind of misery upon misery upon misery. Um, and it just became a it became a hard watch. I think on top of that, it was just a kind of very confused film. It, it seemed to be trying to say lots of things, but actually saying nothing. Um, you know, it was kind of saying that consumerism is bad and the rich are bad, but hang on, the poor are also bad because they, they beat them up and then celebrities are bad. And it, there was just a, it just seemed totally unfocused and it, it didn't, actually, my, my attention really waned after about 30, 40 minutes of it. I, th- I thought I would be really drawn in by it and it, it just became very frustrating. It kind of, it, it came across as being like a, thinking it was a smart movie, but it wasn't really. Um, and I, the, I also had an issue, and I don't know how much we can, we can go into spoilers because it's not that long out, I suppose, but, there's a there's a kind of unreliable narrator trope that they've got in it. It doesn't really work because he's not, he's not actually a narrator of the film. Yeah, I, I know the bit. You're, I know the bit you're talking about. You, a lot of the stuff you've said there, Andy, I 100 percent agree with that. You've you've pretty much mirrored my own thoughts about it. There's there's a lot of good in there, but there's also a lot of bad. And I think that that, that there's a scene in in particular involving a neighbour, and it's kind of mm. like, all oh, right, didn't see that. You know, it was so a lot of the stuff I found was so heavy handed. Yeah, like, like the way the way it approached these sort of the big themes, and you're right in what you say. It was because it was so heavy-handed. It just became like like it's just a bit. Come on here. I thought it yeah. stole. It stole. It, it didn't like lift it like casually. It stole from much better films. Posed a bunch of questions and just left them. Uh, like I, I totally agree with everything you you said. Like I I loved the music. It's the woman. It's um. I can't remember first. Uh, Goodna daughter that did the music for uh, Chernobyl. Yeah, so it was like really like ominous, like cello music and stuff. And yeah, she's yeah. she's amazing. Um, but and I agree with everything you said. I mean, you could. It, it was it was a t, It was the TV show Gotham with the best actor of his generation in it. And you could watch Working Phoenix doing almost anything, but like the plot was paper thin. And I honestly I hated it. I'll go further than you and say I absolutely hated it. I thought it was it was bleak. It was far, I thought it was far cleverer than it was, yeah. and it, I, I I I was ex- and all the reviews were either like five or one, and it, yeah, it was one for me. A one, so I kind of give a. I don't want to turn this into the sort of movie review session. But you kind of give Joker a, a one. There's there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, in there. There's not uh, there, uh, music. Music was good, but I'll find the music elsewhere. The performance was amazing, but you know you can have you can have a team that gets cuffed five nil, and someone had a good game. The goalie had a good game. <laughs> like I hated it. I thought the script was terrible. I thought that the bit like the the bits of tension were just stolen from like like you said, King of Comedy or or Scorsese films elsewhere. All the good bits were taken from anywhere else, and it was like, oh, isn't this is a question. We're going to pose a question, and there's no answer to it. We don't even know if it just it, like it, it. It hinted at having a meaning, and there was no meaning. It hinted at all these problems that were caused, and all you know, the the sort of angry male psyche that seemed to 
like the film an awful lot. It, it sort of played on that a bit, but offered nothing more than that. It just was, I understand why some people liked it or why some people cared about it. I hated it. Yeah, I, 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 the, the, the annoying thing is well, the, the director, Todd Phillips, who'd done kind of the hangover in um, uh, old school and then and that type of thing. He done, he's, I think he did Vice as well, didn't he, recently? He's, in, he's kind of moved into maybe say more mature films, I guess. But it felt very much like he was trying to have his cake and eat it in terms of... Uh, well, we're going to put this out there, but also, uh, if you don't like that, then there's this other interpretation of it. So again, I don't know how much I can. I don't really want to spoil the ending of the thing, but there's a there's a way that the the thing pans out where you know how there's the kind of Joker mythology about you know in the Dark Knight, for instance. Uh, you don't know the the Joker has three or four different explanations for how he became the Joker, and there's kind of a sense of that in uh, this Joker. But it comes out of absolutely nowhere. There's nothing. There's nothing behind it. It's more just a case of well, if you didn't like that, then here's another alternative that you can have instead. And it just, it just was, it was lazily written the whole way through. It was, was it? And it was obvious. There were so many bits of it that were, you know, the the dramatic bit near the end is, is pretty obviously going to happen. But it, but it also still felt really aimless. Like it just felt there was nothing really behind it at all. Um, so yeah. So I was, I was. I, th- I think we made it worse as I was disappointed in it. I, if, if I'd come in with no expectations, it, um, it wouldn't have mattered so much. But given given who was in it, I thought it could have been a lot better. Yeah, it's impossible to go in with zero expectations when you've got Black yeah. Phoenix and Bobby De Niro and all this uh, sort of massive build-up behind it. I only watched it for the first time last week. And it was... I mean, I, I like bleak stuff, but like you were saying, it's just it's, it's too much. It's mm. like double bleak, and there's no nice character. There's no, there's no like sort of good aspect to it whatsoever. Um, I think it's watchable. I, I don't think it's a one out of five, um, but it's it's not for. I, I wouldn't watch it again. Um, and if anyone hadn't seen it, I probably wouldn't tell them to watch it either. I, the only thing, just quickly, I'd say is if, if uh, you were never really here, which is a kind of similar thing in terms of it's yeah. kind of a bleak story, but with Joaquin Phoenix. But it has a bit more to it, and there's a bit more kind of heart in it as well. That's a, I think that's on Amazon. So uh, I would recommend that above above the Joker or Joker. I'd also recommend even above that the Master, uh, which he's uh, very good at. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen that, but uh, Joaquin Phoenix is absolutely superb in that. Uh, I'll talk about me, the things that I haven't been enjoying this week. I was going to talk about uh, YouTube drama videos, uh, the drama channels. I got uh, last Saturday after we recorded. I went down a rabbit hole. And ended up watching a series of videos about YouTubers criticizing other YouTubers. And it was just sort of like strange, low to mid-level beef between a bunch of people that I'd never heard of, but people who had millions of subscribers. So they obviously meant something to someone. Mostly it was about sort of like these YouTubers who are about like 31 soliciting nudes for 15-year-old girls. Um, so it just fairly grimy, but then I thought, you know what? I'm a 34-year-old man. I this doesn't mean anything to me, so as we move on. But the thing that actually really stressed me out yesterday was, was, was Twitter. Believe it or not, it was the first time I've actually had to sort of like close down the app and 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 go to my bed and just just chill out for a week because I was I was genuinely stressed out. It felt as though my head was was my my, fe- my head felt very hot and and, and very heavy. And the pairs a series of things over the course of the day. It started off in the morning, and I'm a bit embarrassed to say this. Fucking Roger Mitchell. 
wound me up something off it was fucking whiteboard discussion about Scottish football. No hacks, no agendas. And he's bringing in Jim Spence, one of the biggest hacks of them all, who's still dining off the fact that he got bodied off Rangers fans in 2012. Ridiculous. That wound me up. I cannot stand Roger Mitchell. I really, I, I like uh, John Hammond in Jurassic Park, I, I really cannot stand that man. That's how <laughs> I feel about uh, Roger Mitchell. And the fact that people are writing daily record articles about him, talking up this, this round table, it's like, who's, he, who's this for? Who's, it's just completely self-serving. I think it's a bunch of people that, that still fancy themselves as having some sort of influence in the game, but, but don't. I think the guy's an absolute crank. Then, after that, I've got a friend who's a very close friend to him who's become a bit of a conspiracy theorist. And I saw some of the stuff that he was sharing, like about uh, herd immunity uh, and how Bill Gates is sort of responsible for the spread of COVID-19. <laughs> and I was just sort of like, come on. It's like a guy who I've known for, for more than 20 years. I love him to bits. And it just kind of like, this is what happened over the last few months. And you're just sort of like, you kind of, it's like you're seeing someone that you don't really recognize. So stressed out about that. And then in the evening, like I went out for a walk, went out for, for a socially distanced walk with my brother and his dog. That was nice. And come back and even all the stuff about Dominic Cummings breaks and the idea that, that nothing will happen with that. And it got to the stage where people who would have quite happily had, like Catherine Calderwood, like strung out, uh, out, of, uh, out of her position as chief medical officer in Scotland for visiting her second home, are sort of jumping through hoops to try and defend what Dominic Cummings did, despite the fact that he drove pretty much from, from one end of England to the other, and the fact he could well have had COVID-19. And it's like Rangers, as Joel Sked said in our group chat, it's like Rangers and Celtic, that's what politics has become, Rangers and Celtic fans, sort of like, are what about a uh, point score and tribalism? And it just kind of like, it was all that. So I went to my bed last night, I was just, head was absolutely fried. And that's the first time I've ever sort of been really, really worn down by Twitter. What I don't understand about almost all conspiracy theories at the moment is they all seem to be conspiracy theories to involve like killing off large numbers of the planet from people who have like accumulated large amounts of wealth. Like what, what's their end game? So like Bill Gates, has been, Bill Gates has been trying to make all this money that's going to be absolutely useless if everyone's dead. Like he, he's launched more Microsoft products and he's actually doing quite a lot out of that. But what he really wants... Is everyone dead? Have you ever watched any of the Resident Evil movies? You know, it's like um, yes. Umbrella Corporation. The entire world is wiped out. You know, the entire <laughs> world is wiped out. But you've got the Umbrella Corporation living underground. It's like, what do you want? There's, there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing to sell or to market because everyone's dead. What do, you, what do you want from this? It kind, it kind of reminds me of that. And it's just, I'm just stressed out about that because it's sort of a bit of an exit, a bit of that sort of crisis where you, I don't know if it's a sort of you get to a certain age, you... You think of like the LCD sound system song, All My Friends, and you sort of begin to ruminate in the past, and then it was all that, and then all this. Ro- fucking Roger. Imagine getting wound up over Roger Mitchell, you know, and, and you're telling yourself how ri- fucking ridiculous it is, and it's just like, right, time, time for bed. Time for bed. That's, uh, that's what I've been using Football Manager to avoid is Twitter, because it's just... <laughs> The fucking worst place on earth, man. Like, especially in the last nine weeks when it's just like... I mean, I, 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 I've, I've always sort of pinned my colours to the mast here, but I follow very, very few Tories, but they still get retweeted on my fucking timeline all the time, which means I have to then digest their views, the sort of the further right people as well. And it just like, like, tw- 
Twitter's a bubble and I usually like to use that bubble to follow people who I like and like-minded people because I'm like, right, that's comforting. That backs up what I think. I don't mind reading that and that's fine. And then you get this other side of it and you're like, ah, no, like this is just going to make me angry. And it does that every single day because my job revolves so much around social media. I spend a lot of time on it, which means that it's just like, by the time it comes to the evenings and the weekends and that, I'm just done with it. Like absolutely done with it. And like, I think it's not just the, obviously the, the political landscape just now, football landscape just now is also horrendous, especially as a poor wee Hearts fan, as we're being shoved down into the championship and then you see all these... Expelled, views, expelled. You see, <laughs> you see all these views from like St Mirren fans and I'm like, no, why am I getting annoyed by this? <laughs> and it's just like, it, it's just constant, man. It's an absolute barrage. Yeah, right. um, there was something else as well yeah, that, that annoyed me yesterday. It was, it was somebody, fucking Tam McManus. Imagine getting worked on with Tam McManus. But somebody replied to him, they were talking, it was a similar PLZ thing with Barry Ferguson on it who said that, that some clubs are scared you know, some clubs are happy to finish ninth in, in League Two. And, and somebody replied to it, like Tam McManus's tweet, say, yeah, teams like uh, Still and Albie and Cowden Beef, Stenhouse, you know, they're, they're all just happy to be in, in League Two. The Brora Rangers fan, he had that in his thing, Aberdeen and Brora Rangers. But two mildly teams that are like miles apart, like geographically for one another. So I don't know how you can, can support those two teams. Anyway, and it's the idea that's like, it's like well, nobody, nobody wants to finish in ninth place, nobody's ambition is to finish in ninth place. Nobody's happy just ticking along. You know, players don't. Players want to win things. Fans want to win things. Chairmen, I presume, want to win things. And th- then it's the idea, though, that, that just a few years ago, like Cowden Beef and, and Brecon and Stirling Albion were all in the, the championship of the first division. You know, it's just the, the, the sort of the way that football sends you, like the, your spokes in a wheel. You know, sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down. That's just the way it works. Nobody wants to be, be bottom all the time. It's just... And the thing is, breaking getting a kick in. I know we're kind of moving off stuff, but breaking getting a kick in all the time by people who don't understand the rules. I can understand there's a lot of anger towards League Two clubs, particularly after that resolution not to invoke some sort of uh, mechanism to allow Kelty, Hearts or Brewer Rangers to at least compete to get into the division. I can understand that. But it's just that this idea, and it was just, it was, that was another thing that, that, that stressed me out yesterday. It was like, imagine I was a camel and I had a back full of straws and somebody just put Roger Mitchell... Tom McManus, <laughs> Conspiracy Theories, and Dominic Cummins. Those are the four straws that broke this camel's back. Robert, what's, what has been grinding your gears? Uh, what's been fucking my nut is the fact that... So I, I bought a BT Sports so I can watch Bundesliga, right? And I, I, could, <clears throat> I could go off on one about the fact that I'm not really enjoying the Bundesliga that much, but I won't. I'll focus on something that's way more trivial and uh, something that <laughs> probably less people agree with. But TV adverts, man, when did they, like, I know that, like, so I've got sympathy with these companies. You, that you said that those comedians, Robert, it's like, TV adverts, what are they all about? Pretty much, aye. Um, but, like, I totally understand and I have sympathy that, that during lockdown, it's going to be hard to, to market things effectively because you, you need to capture the mood of a nation which is in complete turmoil and all that kind of stuff but honestly man like there's there's three that sort of spring to mind there's the co-op uh, there's NatWest and there's EE and all of them every single time they come on and this is from the first time I ever saw them just absolutely drove me wild so the EE one's Kevin Bacon and he is um, he starts off by saying now usually I'd make a funny joke it's like well you're playing a bit fucking fast and loose with that first of all Kevin 
Um, and then he goes off on one about loving the NHS and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? I love it. Like, NHS is great. I'm fine with that. But I swear to God, it's the tone in which the advert's done where he's just looking down the, the barrel of the camera and sort of saying, this is for you. And all this pish. Hate it. And then you've got uh, the co-op one and the NatWest one are a bunch of people on, on a, a Zoom call, um, incredibly heavily sort of um, uh, scripted uh, and all this kind of stuff. And it just absolutely does my head in. And I, I'm now, yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I've, I've been listening to the Bundesliga uh, on mute anyway, uh, but sometimes it's just sort of on in the background. If I'm on Twitter or Football Manager or something, and I hear the advert come on, it just sends me wild. So TV adverts, that's what I fucking hate just now. I, I would agree about that thing about really incredibly earnest adverts. Like, uh, because you know all they're doing is trying to sell you stuff, and but the way they're doing it is to try to pretend that they really care about yeah. the NHS or something else, and really they're just trying to, a, a different way of flogging stuff. And, and you know, from a marketing point of view, yes, that's fair game. But I just find them just so sickly to listen to, like, because it's all rubbish. Like, it's just bullshit. They're not really. They don't believe it at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're right in terms of earnest is, is the is the, the right word. I think that's probably that sort of stuff might have done at the at the start, you know, maybe the first couple of weeks. But I think we're we're oh god, I say that, I say earnestness. I mean it's easy easy to say when you're sort of you haven't necessarily been impacted like like personally, you know, because of the concern. I know a lot of people have died. That's that's a, so I need to caveat caveat it with that that there are people who've been really terribly affected by uh, the pandemic and the, the, the coronavirus. But that sort of earnestness, I think we kind of need to move on from that. I don't know if that's easy. That's easy for me to say, and that's coming from a fairly ignorant standpoint. I don't know. I think people want people like there. This is slightly getting into more serious conversation, but people are kind of over the news a bit now. I think this probably ties in with the Twitter point as well. That like there's no other news. There's like there's no escape from you're in you know you're seeing the same people you're always seeing you're doing the same thing you're always doing you're not sure what day it is, so when that's reflected back on like you you know you're you're selling me a phone <laughs> like you're selling you're selling fast food you're not like you're not changing the world. So I think, oh my god! Just when you said that there, the the, the Snoop Dogg Just Eat advert. Yeah. Remind as well. Sorry. <sighs> Tom, how are you there? What's, uh, what do you want to get off your chest? Uh, none of this. I mean, I agree with everyone's, but uh, the the announcement that there's going to be a Justice League director's cut. There's two. Oh, is, that's, Snyder that's, cut? Or, is this a release? The Snyder cut. Yeah. Like, so there's two, I've got two problems with this. We'll start with the first one in general is the idea that a film like this needs a director's cut. Like, you know, the, the director's cut of... Aliens or the Wild Bunch or like, you know, Blade Runner or something like that, where it was like, this was already a great film and adding to it or, or the director needed to give a bit of nuance to it or a bit of subtlety we wouldn't have picked up is, is absolutely vital. And you can see why they might want to do that. And I am kicking this before it's out. But there's a good reason why occasionally 30 or 40 years later, someone wants to see more of E.T., because they've seen it enough times and a, an extra 10 minutes is really going to make a difference. But what can you possibly add? And it's HBO as well. It's like, it, it, it's maybe they'll find some great wonders in it, but it's a film that didn't have any subtlety in the first place, directed like Zack Snyder. It's not like 
someone that's famous for he's famous for like the the, the good films he did. Stanley Kubrick's <laughs> missing movie, you know. Yeah, it's not like oh, we've 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 managed to discover forty-five minutes of subtle Wonder Woman scenes, which really really uh, explain her backstory and really explain in depth why the the, the conflict that she feels as she progresses. Like, just the only female character. In the, no, I don't think so. Like, this is a guy who did Sucker Punch, that film about owls that I can't remember, like Man of Steel. The 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 like the three hundred was fine, but it was like three hundred was good, but it was like it was what it was. And Dawn of the Dead, he did a very good zombie film. Yeah. Everything else, if you like, if, I can understand why people enjoy um, Zach Zack Snyder films, but they're like pure escapism and the idea that there's going to be this like art house cut of it. It's just like if this is where we're going. See, these are just like big. These are sort of big corporate. It's like you. I, you know, I'll be honest and say I, I haven't seen like Avengers or Justice League or Suicide Squad. They all look rubbish. I know Avengers is supposed to be quite good. Avengers Assemble and Endgame. That's what's good. Suicide Squad and Justice League look rubbish. And say that like and the, the stuff like with uh, Harley Quinn and our fabulous fab traction or whatever it is. All that sort of stuff looks absolutely bunk. I mean, these are sort of like just corporate products. You know, that I don't, that are, they, they just yeah. don't to me to me they don't seem the sort of stuff that's got a lot of subtlety and a lot of nuance uh in them so it's like looking for a, a sort of director's cut it's like you're better off like spending your time like i mean i i, I think it i don't think there was any surprise it came i think it's because of this hbo max they're launching so it's all about flogging subscriptions to hbo max in america which is what it's going to be on over there and i think they're they're putting another 20 or 30 million into it to try and get it. But it might either be a film or a TV series, but as Tom says, I can't, I don't understand how they're going to, how they're going to make it. Cause it's, it's just a very nothing film. Like it's not like, at least with, a, with Joker, you know, you could hate it or you could, you could love it. Like uh, Justice League is a nothing film. In fact, I, I hated actually uh, Man of Steel and I didn't, I hated the other one as well, whatever the other one was. Um, I found them just incredibly dark, but but Justice League wasn't that Justice League. Maybe because because Snyder left halfway through, didn't he? Because his, his daughter died, but um, it just was a nothing film, and I don't know how they're going to turn it into something that is remotely interesting. I mean, they, they they might. I will. The, the only caveat I'll give is that that he did, he made the Watchmen film, which was terrible, and then when I uh, when they announced they were going to make the TV series of Watchmen, I thought that was going to be an absolute disaster. But that, that Watchmen TV series is one of the best things that I've seen in the last, you know, five, 10 years. It was amazing. So well put together. So there, there is a possibility that someone will find something in these characters that have been done umpteen times before. Yeah, exactly. There, there is nothing in the career of Zack Snyder to suggest that he's going to find uh, a bunch of stuff that's going to add layers and depth to something that, that was, that was, nobody's seen before and the idea that there was a clamor for this just i'm either out of touch or uh the internet's wrong big big sort of uh, no it's the children that are wrong vibes you're giving yeah off. <laughs> um, always it's, it's time now to move on to our movie we've basically spent most of the podcast talking movie reviews but this is where we're going to take a deep dive into probably the most ludicrous movie we're ever <laughs> likely to discuss in this podcast Whose idea was this again? Well, I have to explain himself shortly because it's about interplanetary warriors, Russian cleaners, 
and it features one of the most astonishing performances from an Oscar winner since Halle Berry's turn in Catwoman. <laughs> of course, we are talking about 2015's Jupiter Ascending. It was directed by the Wachowskis. It stars Mila Kunis, Channing Tatum, Douglas Booth, and Eddie Redmayne. And as mentioned, it was selected by the wild man of the terrace himself, Mr. Andrew Harrow. So, Andy, what I'd like you to do, for the benefit of, of everyone listening and for actually the three of us, what is Jupiter Ascending all about? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me that. How long have we gone for this podcast? Have we got about three hours? Uh, well, yes. why, did you pick, why did you pick Jupiter Ascending? Why did you want to watch Jupiter Ascending, first of all? The background for this is I didn't really know anything about Jupiter Ascending until I went on a, a holiday. Probably, it must have been probably a year later. Um, maybe a couple of years later, I went to Spain with a few friends. Uh, I was struck down, I had a cold one, one evening, so I kind of went to bed early uh, and put the telly on and it happened to be, I think I only caught half of Jupiter Ascending, but I caught, I got enough of Jupiter Ascending. No, we didn't, it didn't make any more, any less sense. <laughs> no, no, it didn't make any, any more sense uh, having started it this time around. But I, I caught enough of it to think, well, this is pretty bonkers. And, you know, I, I, I didn't think any more of it particularly, but I do remember, you know, I'd seen the bit with Sean, uh, Bean as a bee, and I'd seen Channing Tatum throughout it, and I thought there's something, there's something, there's something odd there, and I've never, I've never gone back to, it. I was never going to spend any money to actually go and watch it, but then I noticed the other week that it was on Netflix, and since we're doing this uh, series of chats about films, I thought it would be an interesting one to get into because it did seem totally bonkers, but I couldn't remember that much else about it. So it might have been, it might have been a really enjoyable, but just with silly B characters. But actually, the whole thing was just utterly, utterly mad. And the plot, uh, I mean, the, the, there is just, this film is just exposition, yeah. but there's not enough of it to help you understand what's going on. <laughs> just, uh, it the, the whole movie that. to go between it was action scene, exposition, action scene, exposition, action scene. Even when you're about an hour and a half into the movie, there was still more exposition. Yeah. To me, it felt like it was the sort of thing. Uh, one of the things, I actually enjoyed this. I, I thought it was good, and I thought there was, there, was, there was actually a lot of good things about it. But to me, because it was so dense, this world that the Wachowskis were trying to create, I think they tried to cram too much into like two hours, it's probably the sort of thing that might have lent itself better to a TV series, like a 10-part TV series, where you could build up this. I mean, you think of like Game of Thrones, for instance, like Westeros and Essos. I mean, it takes time to build up the, the sort of the, the geography and the, the sociology and the politics of these lands. And I think that you couldn't have done Game of Thrones in a movie. I'm sure they tried to actually. That's originally when they were looking to adapt it. They tried to adapt Game of Thrones into a, a movie. Too big, so they changed it into a TV series. I think this... Is the world building's impressive, but they try to do too much with too, such a short space of time, and that's why they're, they're still getting all these expository scenes all the way up like two hours into the movie. It is, it is very, very pretty. I yes. give it like I think like it does look incredibly beautiful, and they they've like the Wachowskis always steal well. They always steal from good stuff, and there's a bunch of stuff that they stolen from. Uh, there was a bunch of stuff I think they stole from games, like there's bits of Dark Souls and Mass Effect and Dishonored and things like that. And, and Brazil, Terry, Terry Gilliam turns up kind of in a, in a bit of a meta scene. It does look incredibly pretty. And the, like you said, the, I think the action scenes were, were pretty awesome, mm. especially the, the action, the, the bit, there's a fight scene at the end when Channing Tatum fights a dinosaur and 
it's probably not as good as you're now picturing with Channing Tatum fighting, fighting a dinosaur, but it is quite a good fight scene at the, at, at the end. But essentially, I, I summarize this as 20% of this film is a furry version of The Force Awakens, and 20% of the film is Myla Kunis falling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of Myla Kunis falling and Channing Tatum and his hover boots picking her up. But, and the, the hover boots, sorry, just the, the, the hover boots, I, I, like the, the worst bit, I know I'm jumping from bits to bit. The script is fantastic. Like, so the script is full of bits of like a Russian man saying things like "Great Stalin's balls," and mostly <laughs> uh, speak English. I have, uh, and there's a bit where there's a sort of romantic scene between Channing Tatum and Milo Kunis, and Channing Tatum's like half werewolf, and he says something like, "I have more in common with dogs than you," as they look deeply into his eye, each other's eyes, and she says, "I like dogs," <laughs> and it's like, oh. but the bit, the best bit is the bit with the hover boots because he just he he switches his hover boots on, and she's like, "Whoa, hover boots!" Like as if someone has shown her, like time bends can bend to their will or something like that I, I, and then like 10 minutes later 10 minutes later she she meets sean uh sean bean who announces that he's been spliced with a bee and she goes huh right. <laughs> yeah, that's, i think the bit we're missing out the most extraordinary thing about this movie is mila kunis's character is called jupiter jones and everyone is like say hey what's up Ju-? you know it's like every time like the word jupiter jones came out i was like holy fuck how is uh, is, it worth, is it worth me trying to give some sort of explanation? I guess about, the plot yeah, here. sorry, please. Explain, trying to explain the plot here. <laughs> right. So, yeah, so it's Mila Kunis is uh, Jupiter Jones, who is uh, <laughs> a Russian emigre. Yeah. <laughs> And she cleans toilets along with her family and they've got this sort of terrible fake Russian banter between her family that, that happens for a lot. And she's, she's going to, her, her brother is trying to get her to... Her cousin, um, sorry. Her eggs. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Don't she's... fanboys to send you death threats. <laughs> so, so she's going to sell her eggs and then she gets abducted or attacked by aliens uh, or people who turn out to be we green men and then Channing Tatum arrives in his hover boots and saves her and then it turns out that she or oh right God correct you have to help me with this but it turns <laughs> out that she is exactly the same basically person as someone else who's the mother of three bad aliens including Eddie Redmayne and uh, they they uh, <laughs> they, they do something to them. They've inherited. They've inherited. Something needs to help. I can't remember. So they're they're like these ancients that have lived for tens of thousands of years, and they've kind of divided up the universe by inheriting planets. And Myla Kunis, I think, is a sort of reincarnation of their mother. So yeah. she's she's got uh, she's got the same DNA strand as their murdered mum. Right. That Obviously. Oh, so, sorry. I like. I know. I know. We are jumping a lot, like about a bit. But one of the most incredible scenes is when the sister uh, takes her through the candlelit room and shows her this statue that looks fucking nothing like me. Looking at it. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh my god, it's me. It's like, where? <laughs> which, <laughs> which part of it is you? And and that that entire scene when when she takes her to the sort of fountain of youth um, bath and and shows her all that stuff as well. Um, it's just. And there's a kind of weird civil war, isn't there, between the three siblings? So, like, 
Eddie Redmayne is the baddie baddie, but he's he seems to be at war with the daughter and the other guy. Titus, that was at Douglas Booth. Oh, yeah. cheekbones, the cheekbone guy, very pretty yeah. boy. Uh, and not entirely sure why. And there's a point. There's a point where Mila Kunis, who looks supposed to look exactly like his mother, gets married to Doug, or is about to get married to Douglas Booth. And there's a kind of weird mother boy, Arrested Development mother boy vibes about it. But no, I can't remember why she was due to get married to him and what difference that would make. But then she doesn't, and then because. It's something to do with she she controls the fate of Earth and I think Eddie Redmayne thinks he controls the fate of Earth and he's going to harvest everyone's bodies for some reason. Uh um, youth that keeps them young. That's that's what it that's what it does. Yeah, I, I like how we're just workshop, especially for me, we're workshopping this plot because it, <laughs> it just. Was you know what? Good. It reminded me a lot of it. it. Reminded me of bits like, and I mean this. Sorry, it kind of reminded me a bit like the Terminator. Where you've got a, a sort of like a, a, a woman who is destined doesn't realise, but she's she's sort of doing like a menial like like waitressing in Mila Kunis' case, she's a, a, a domestic who some muscle bound guy from the future, or in this case an interplanet a interplanet uh, bounty hunter, comes and rescues her and has to explain. But see the Terminator, like the Terminator is really simple, you know, like that the idea behind the Terminator is really simple, and there's bits in the car where where Kyle Reese explains what's happened and it's all done very, very, very quickly, very well written, very quickly. So you understand what's at stake here, what, why, why things happen, why Sarah Connor is so important. Um, and then obviously Sarah Connor's character grows. So at the end, when Kyle Reese is on his last legs, she, they, they effectively switch positions where she's the one say, like on your knee soldier and, and helping him through the thing. So that's like her arc. I didn't feel like though there was the, the arcanist that started off sort of similar, but she didn't seem any more capable than no, when she was than she was at, at the end. And whereas it, whereas Kyle Reese took a couple of lines to explain what the situation was and where he'd come from, you would need to, I kind of felt like Channing Tatum needed to bring out some like anthologies and plank them down in front of her to say, right, here's all the politics. There's a weird scene in it, so I'm kind of jumping ahead where they, they go through this bureaucratic bit when she comes to the planet. And she goes saw this like these tax offices, and you don't see them talking. And she gets really the pacing, the pacing really kind of went went off off the rails at that. But you could have cut all that sort of stuff out, and you wouldn't have missed anything. Yeah. But as you say, it's that thing about, and it, it's quite nice in a way. Uh, we watched uh, we cut the last twenty minutes of Valerian and the something of something the other week as well, and it was the kind of same thing. Is that it's just lots of ideas, and and, and there's there's something to be said for people having ideas and enjoying putting them together you know at least there was at least there was some adventure in it but yeah the, it, it, you're right about the Kunis character though she she is feckless from start mm. to end that she doesn't she doesn't really change or improve it's just Chan Tatum saving her at almost every turn yeah well that, that's it every time something nearly happens Chan Tatum fucks himself through a wall and is just like <laughs> I'm here now and it's like that for the entire film but like Sorry for jumping about, but going going back to the start here, why was she, why was she born? This is no, and this is the, well, the way we are discussing this is no less incomprehensible than the movie itself. It's <laughs> like the Memento version, whereas if you take all these different parts together, maybe you might put make some sense out of it. We need to stop in two minutes and talk about tax returns, and then we can return <laughs> to space boots. Why why was she born in a shipping container full of well dressed women? <laughs> That was never really explained. It's like, oh, they're, on a, they're on a boat in an open-ended container full of women who are all wearing their Sunday best. Everything was very graphic as well. Like, that surprisingly graphic scene. Yeah. I, I, just, 
I thought that would be explained at some stage, but it's not. Maybe what this film needs is the director's cut. <laughs> you know, so we've, we've been speaking about this for 20 minutes. We have yet to discuss the best and the worst thing in the whole movie. Mr. Eddie Redmayne as oh Balam Abraxas. Yeah. He, I mean, he'd won an Oscar in 2014 for his portrayal of Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything. I haven't seen it. I imagine it's quite good. But he is, he's astonishing in this. It, it, he is astonishing. It, it, it's like we know he can act, but he sort of plays like a sort of space Norman Bates. And is like, I, honestly, if you watch it, and I'd recommend everyone watch it again, look at his mouth. I know no one can see this, but he's got this sort of, he does this weird thing with his mouth all the way through it. And all of his lines are kind of, I'm going to speak them like this, and then I'm going to say loud. It's the whole time he's wanted somebody to give him a lozenge. You know, you have a lock at me. You know, take, take, what do you mean no. about my mother? We're, we're talking about how bad he is, but there was a bit in the movie where he hadn't been in it for about 25 minutes. So I was like, I really can't wait to see what Eddie Redmayne's got to see next. the most watchable uh, person in it. There was yeah. nowhere, nowhere near enough Redmayne in that film. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he, he could have been way more prominent, uh, but obviously it was too much of a strain on his voice. Can I say that? Oh, they would, if they'd put more Redmayne in it, they'd have to up the budget significantly because the chewed up scenery from like... I, 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 I think Redmayne's crap. As I, like, I think he's very, very enjoyable in this. He's terrible. But I, I think Redmayne's one of those people that all he can do is sort of over-the-top act. Even in theory of everything, he kind of has to over-the-top act. I, I don't think he's very good, but shout well, out to... I think he should have played Stephen Hawking then. What's that? Oh, you think he should have played Stephen Hawking? Well, no, that's what I mean. He's finding Stephen Hawking, but it's a very kind of showy. It has to be a very showy performance to degree because of the because of the role he's playing. But but it, it, other things I've seen him in, including this, he's just massively, massively over the top. Anyway, I just want to read this this uh, bit out from Mark Kermode's review of it, which uh, from the Guardian about Eddie Redmayne. Then he says he he says uh, top marks go to Evil Space Royal Eddie Redmayne whose breathy ennui is offset by bouts of mummy's boy shrieking, all delivered with a petty mort look in his face that suggests he's being fellated by eternity itself. Which I thought, uh, <laughs> which I thought pretty nicely summed up his... Uh, his but I know that Eddie Raymond is, is the, the, the proper big thing on it, but can we also just talk about how ridiculous Channing Tatum looks in it? So... Uh, I think Tom mentioned about the fact that he's spliced with a wolf. Um, an albino. He's an albino wolf. So he's albino. the... With, with wings. With wing. albino, yeah, with wings. With wings. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, the, uh, but it basically just means that he's got a kind of terrible goatee and kind of pointy ears and guy liner. That's, that's pretty much how it... How the makeup is made, and he looked. I've never seen Chan Tatum look ugly until this uh, this uh, this film, and maybe maybe that's the point. But given that Mila Kunis is basically in love with him from minute one, oh, that's I was going to say there was no chemistry between yeah. them, and there was never again. I don't want to compare. You can't. Don't want to compare it to the Terminator, but I'm going to. It's it's like the Kyle Reese and Sarah. You can see their blossoming relationship. How he begins to feel there's a bit where she bites his hand at the start, uh, towards the start, and she's like, don't do that again, like, like Terminators don't feel pain, I do. And you can sort of see that as a softening between them, and it kind of leads up to, to them eventually, like, like really getting on with each other and having sex, and then, and all sorts of that. But, but from, from this, 
there, there was never any any moments where I thought these two were really into each other. I mean, he follows her around the tax office, saves her a bunch of times, but other than that, it's yeah. It's only it's only it's so I only slightly better relationship than that Valerian one, which had Cara Delevingne and uh, the chap from Chronicle, Dane DeHaan, who is absolutely not a leading man type figure either. Um, they, only, only their relationship was probably more tenured than those two. Uh, the, we've also not mentioned the best line in the film. Does anyone, what, does anyone well, remember? Great Stalin's balls. Oh well, that no, that one was all right. I was I was meaning the bees don't lie line. That oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, do need, we, do need, we probably control the bees. She's got the bees sort of buzzing around her arm, and she can sort of like move them like a a conductor. We probably yeah. do need to give some context to this because, uh, like, although, uh, like you say, the the man sliced with wolf that has wings, uh, albino wolf that with wings, is pretty weird. Uh, <laughs> Sean Bean. Playing a man, and you like uh, you said, Craig, about the Jupiter Jones being just this ridiculous name. Sean Bean plays a man who we've discovered later in life was spliced with a B, but he's called Stinger. Yeah. So it's like, was that nominative determinism, or did they did they seek out a man that had an ironic name? What what happened there? But he's yeah, he he can speak to the bees. Um, it's not it's not just that. I think the the naming in the film generally because obviously Kane. Uh, is, is the half wolf, so canine, cool. Yeah. And then you've got oh. Stinger, right, yeah, and then you've yep. got uh, a lassie named after a fucking planet who's the main part. And it's yep. like, hey, well, they really thought about this. <laughs> they did. Like, you know, fair, fair play. Um, aye, Sean Bean's character, generally, um, is, is just sort of like, well, he's, he's, he's going to do something pretty bad in this film, and then he does, but it's not even that bad. And you're like, ah, yeah. I really wish he'd, he'd lent into the, the arsehole Yorkshireman that he is, but they, they didn't. They kind of half did it, and then they explained his sort of double cross. And it, it was like, it was like, right, are you going to do it again? You got any debts? Nah, fine. Nah, nah. <laughs> no bother, no bother. What, what I did like about him, though, and like it, I, I think we're beyond spoilers now, um, but like obviously he's famous for dying in every film, like you know, Sean, and he didn't, and they kept like going, "This is it!" Like he gets shot, he gets blown up, he gets his plane gets exploded, his spaceship gets exploded, he gets various times when you're like, "All ah, right, this is the this is the Sean Bean bit," and they didn't do that, and I thought that was quite playful and quite fun ish for mm-hmm. like it's a tiny little but every time he was on i was waiting for it to happen and it didn't and i thought you know the little nod for for, for film yeah. lovers and he, and he was selling the heck out of it as well like he, he yeah. was despite his absolutely ridiculous lines that he had to deliver he was he was selling it he he felt like in a different more serious gritty northern <laughs> gritty reboot yeah bumblebee man I, I, I really like the bit where he is uh, almost sexually describing uh, Channing Tatum's character as Channing Tatum stalks around the house topless with a gun. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely phenomenal. He's, he's not pointing at anyone. It, it was, yeah, uh, that, that entire um, sort of uh, to and fro at the, the bee house um, between the, the two of them, um, where they, they, you get like 20 seconds of backstory on Sean Bean's daughter as well. Um, it's, he's never mentioned again. He's never mentioned. <laughs> no. Sorry, here's the thing, because at the start of the movie, Jupiter and her mate, our mate's going on a date and our mate's like showing her dresses. Should I go for this dress here or this dress here? Then these aliens come in 
Jupiter takes a picture of it. <laughs> what was her friend? What was the thing? Because her friend was supposed to go and give her. They, they got mixed up. Is that right? Or they thought they they mixed up or something. Yeah, I think that. That bit as well, just very, that, that bit has like another amazing bit of scripting. It's like, where are you getting ready for your date? Oh, I'm meeting Austin. He's like a Olympic rower and he's the fifth richest man in America. And like, it's just like so comical. There's like, oh, he's he's in the Fortune 500 and he was this and that. Wait, your roommate... So you are cleaning toilets. You're a Russian immigrant cleaning toilets, and your roommate is going on a date with this, like all American. What how, the fuck is going friends? on? How were they friends in the first? Yeah, no, they were friends. No, no they're just they're, they're just they're just friends. It's not it's not said how. Um, I believe that the the wee green men come to try and harvest her friend, and then she catches them in the act. Is that not what it is? I thought they were coming for her, but they only had yeah. a dress or something. I don't know. Yeah, they, but when they, they go to see, she gives a when she goes to give her egg, she gives a fake name. She give aye. Yeah. She, gives, she gives them her name, the the friend's name. Oh, right. yeah. I, I, I think we might have tied ourselves in knots here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we did that to ourselves. I think a lot of that's through the film. Um, what's the wee anime lassie about? The, the, <laughs> you know, the one with the blue hair and her, her pals. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but I don't understand what they're... Oh, they, they were bounty hunters. They were a sort of a gang of bounty hunters who were sent to track Channing Tatum, who had been sent to track Jupiter Jones. Because they wanted to get Jupiter Jones. Because for themselves. Yeah, they were working for Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne, yeah. Deliver her to Eddie Redmayne. So that they could then get the the, um, the harvest um, fruits, uh, so they could stay young for a bit. I, and also, I really enjoyed the bit when they they do end up. I know it's spoilers, but like they, they sort of they, they get the wee tube of uh, human harvest and literally like check it like it's a big bag of coke, <laughs> stick a knife in it and like lick it, and it's like oh yeah, that's, that's the good. <laughs> Would you recommend Jupiter Ascending? Yes. Absolutely. I think everyone needs to see this film. Uh, also, I, I mean, I, I don't want to round it up because I feel there's so much left to go here. But Channing Tatum, uh, Kane's gun sounds like a, a dog keyboard effect. Did anyone notice this? No. <laughs> when, he no shoots, when he shoots the gun, it goes, ow, ow. <laughs> Jesus, go, go back and watch it. It sounds like a gun. It sounds like a dog. Sorry. It's fucking great. Anyway. No, definitely. I highly recommend it. Like somewhere in there, if it was like more of a kid's film, I think somewhere in it, like, you know, girl loses dad, girl fights space mutants, girl gets her dad's telescope at the end. There's some sort of like circle to it. And somewhere in there, I think there could be like actually quite a nice, sweet film aimed more at kids. As it is, you just got to watch it because it's... You've got, you've got to admire its ambition. I think it was it yourself, Andy, that said like the, the creativity and sort of like the, the, the thinking that's gone into it. That's, that's impressive given, I think particularly now, what, what we said, we spoke about it last week, just in terms of like in, in, in video games and, and, and cinema, it's basically just comic books and, and, and remakes. So for something like this to come along, you've kind of got to say fair play, but it's just, it's, it's, I think it's too grandiose for its own good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah. Uh, 100% it's, it's worth watching. I also enjoyed when they, he looked at the big massive dinosaur guy, and I'm pretty sure they called him Mr. Smith. Yeah, they all had like very normal surnames, those dinosaur guys, for some uh, reason. So we got to go back to the Matrix then. Yeah. Uh, well, it's actually, it's actually amazing in a way that these guys made the Matrix, because everything that they've made since the first Matrix film has been pretty 
overwrought and complicated and yeah. not actually very good or successful. And it, it's kind of amazing. Like the Matrix for a very complicated film, actually, they managed to distill that down pretty well. And then they've, they've pretty much followed that line since. I think Cloud Atlas was uh, a complicated film of a complicated book, and they've kind of done it ever since. Yeah, they just can't. They can't get it. the one they made after the, the the Wachowskis made after the Matrix, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe it's Speed Racer as well, which didn't get great reviews. So, yeah, they're uh, patchy. But yeah, it was very interesting. I think I think the fact that you know, the, if you're in any in any one scene, there'll be somebody that you can barely see in the background who has about a ton of makeup or special effects on. Um, that's the kind of level of detail that they've gone into. So it's definitely worth it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah, like you say, I think the, the ambition and I like I, I always like I, I I do always go back and watch Lukowski films because I think they do have. They all they are always ambitious and like, they they do steal from cool places they've got and they've got really interesting backgrounds like they've they've obviously read a ton of comic books they've worked with like Clive Barker on Hellraiser and have taken this sort of underground S and M and bondage stuff into films and they're, they're pulling from very different places from the sort of normal people who or normal directors that get a two hundred million dollar film but like I really loved Bound The Matrix is obviously great. Um, it's not very like the book, but I thought the the work they did, I don't think they directed it, but V for Vendetta I thought was good. I, I haven't seen Speed Racer, but I really liked Cloud Atlas. I think it was a bit of a mess, but I liked the idea. And again, for people for like AAA titles to try something like that was wild. This is just something else. You've got to watch it to believe it. I, I would recommend this film to anyone and everyone. It, it has to be watched to be believed. It's like, it's, there's so many weird fetishes in it. It's great. Yeah, it's like, where'd you go? I mean, we've got a bit of what to watch. We can just rattle through this because really, I think that's it. We're all in agreement. What you should be what to watching Jupiter Ascending on Netflix. But say, if, if for some reason, our review hasn't encouraged you to watch Jupiter Ascending, what are you what to watching? Tom, what, what are you what to watching? I am what to watching uh, the TV series of Get Shorty. Uh, which I think is available on Sky Atlantic, but it's definitely on on Now TV. Um, they did a, like, an Elmore Leonard book in late 80s, early 90s, and a film with um, John Travolta a couple of years later. But the TV series is, I think there's a, maybe three series of it now, but it's only just kind of being shown over here. It's uh, Chris O'Dowd, Sean Bridges, and Ray Romano as uh, low-rent hitmen in Nevada, who kind of stumble into the Hollywood business. Um, it's, it feels much more Elmer Leonard. It feels much more sort of like a, a crime caper. It's very violent. It's very dark. It's very vulgar. It's very funny. And it's, it feels like kind of like a Coen Brothers film. Um, re- I'm really enjoying it. Somehow, Chris O'Dowd is both like Chris O'Dowd and the IT crowd, and he's also quite ominous, and you kind of feel like he's a hitman. Really, um, I, so I, I hate Chris I, I cannot stand him. Well, give it a go, or maybe don't, because you really hate him. He is the lead throughout it, but he's very different in it. It's he's obviously packed on a bit of a bit of muscle for it, um, and he's like quite heavily tattooed, and he sort of plays this rough. You'd assume, like, I, well, he's an Irish gangster, but him and Ray Romano, who suddenly in the last three or four years has shown that he can really act. Yeah. Um, are are excellent in it, um, 
I was kind of ambivalent about Chris O'Dowd, so uh, I'm quite firmly on his side at the moment because the only things I've ever seen him in is this in the IT crowd. Interesting you talk about Ray Romano there. I remember I used to, I was in Channel 4's getting ready in, in the morning, have the TV on, see, um, what's it, what was it, what was the Ray, what was it, Everybody Loves Raymond? I found mm. that to be one of the most stressful TV shows I've ever seen. Like, it was like worse than 24, worse than Crime Watch because it was like, how much of an idiot can this person be to upset the people closest to him over and over and over again? And it was just that, I, I hated it. But uh, yeah, it's good to see. He was good in Irishman. Um, uh, Andy Harrow, what are you what to watching? Uh, so I, I think I've just about finished everything I was watching. So the the one I'm going to recommend is Normal People. Have any, any of you seen it? Uh, I haven't seen it, but I, I can't avoid uh, talking about it. There is a lot of chat about it. There is a lot of chat. And I, it's not really something that I would uh, normally go to. Uh, I've not read the book. It doesn't, you know, I'm more into kind of... Uh, Californian shoegazing uh, crime novels or Stephen King books, so it's not really into my wheelhouse. But the uh, but as the, the TV show is very good. So uh, just about the these two uh, people that go through high school and then into into college and kind of have this kind of on off relationship the whole way through, and it's um, kind of split into two two sections really because there's there's um, two different directors there's the guy that directed room not the room that would be that would be <laughs> a, <laughs> a series but the guy directed room and then somebody who directed i think they're maybe best known for directing that episode of doctor who with the kind of statues that, that move and you shut your eyes so a the first part the first part of the guy directed from the room is probably the, the slightly stronger Part I thought, um, but it is a very, a very good show. Uh, there is lots of sex in it, and it's, it's. I mean, you see his penis quite often in the second half of the series, but um, but there's just a lot of sex generally, and it, and it seems realistic. Uh, to be fair, it, it seems pretty. Um, it's pretty well done, uh, and it's not titillating in any way. It's just kind of. It looks. It looks pretty realistic. Um, the the dialogue in the first few episodes when they're at school seems a bit. Too um, bit too old. I, I certainly didn't talk like they did when I was. It was in high school or probably even university. Um, but the, the the two people is it Paul Mescal and Daisy Edgar Jones. They're they're the lead characters and they're both or the the lead actors and they're both excellent. And it and it is it is really good that kind of both have kind of quite damaged people, but kind of build themselves up through through the relationship with each other. Uh, and it, yeah, it's it's a nice. I mean, it's it's pretty heavy. There's a few episodes towards the end that are pretty heavy going, but it's a ultimately kind of heartwarming story, um, and it's it's really well done. So, I've, and it's only twenty minute chunks, so the episodes aren't very long. So you can kind of dip in and out of it without um, taking a kind of big toll on you. So yeah, I would I would recommend that. It's good. Very good. What I am what to watching is a as a TV show was re- was sort of rec- well, not recommended but recalled by Big Graham Thewlis. Uh, during a conversation earlier in the week. It's called The Last Train, and it's a 1999 ITV series about a group of train passengers who are frozen in time and wake up 40 years later to a post-apocalyptic Sheffield. It's um, it's interesting. Gra- Graham said he, he remembers lots of feral dogs and crucifixions. There's certainly been feral dogs. I haven't seen any crucifixions yet. It's shot like an episode of The Bill. <laughs> So if you imagine that sort of film stock there, but with all this horrendous stuff going on, it's, um, I'm not sure it's very good. The acting's a wee bit, 
bit stagey, it's a bit OTT in places, but the, the concept is certainly we talk about ambition, it's an interesting idea. Um, and maybe there's people of, of our generation who perhaps uh, remember, I certainly didn't, but it's uh, been interesting to, to, to watch. So watch three episodes, three left to go. Last of all, Robert Borthwick, what are you what to watching? So I think uh, for, for me, sort of what I am watching in, in terms of TV shows and stuff, it is usually off the, the same menu that I always have done. So I'll go back and revisit things like Arrested Development. But the one new thing that I have tried um, is Money Heist on Netflix, which is the uh, foreign language um, sort of, I mean, you, you couldn't explain it better than Money Heist, to be honest. But it's this, uh, it's this daring and devilish heist um, that is absolutely everything you'd expect it to be. You've got all the stereotypes of the, the absolute mastermind in charge of it. And then you've got from the, the group of uh, criminals going in to, to steal the money um, is like you've got the hot-headed one. You've got the, the seemingly off-the-rails young lassie, but she's actually got a cute little backstory. You've got everything. Uh, and, they, they've, you know, they try to do it with, like, the style of uh, the style of like Ocean's Eleven and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's all the stereotypes you can imagine from a heist TV show. But it's actually really watchable. Um, it's, it's quite well quite well written in the fact that every single episode wants you. You do want to watch another one when it's, when it's done. Um, the, the acting in it. It's all in Spanish, mate, so I just read off the subtitles. But it is, it's entertaining enough, and it, it's, even though you, you, need to, you need to focus your attention on it in order to read the subtitles, it is quite easy to just sit there and just watch it, you know, head back and, and just sort of enjoy it like that. And I think it, it, a lot of people were talking about it a few weeks ago because season two came out. I'm only on season one, um, but I would, yeah, I, I would recommend it to, to most people. It, it's, it's quite a decent watch. Brilliant. Well, that sounds very good. And I'd like to, well, I want to thank, thank each and every one of you for, for your time today. It's always good fun, always a good way to kick off the weekend uh, and do pretty much the same thing we've been doing, kick on and do the same thing we've been doing for the last two months. Fuck all. Uh, so thank you one by one. Andy Harold, thank you very much. And thank you in particular for bringing Jupiter Ascending into our lives. Very kind of you. Pleasure. It was a pleasure. Robert Borthwick, lovely to see you again and, and get well soon. Thanks, Craig. I really appreciate that. And also, I just want to thank Andy again, uh, because that, that film is fucking something else. Like. And last of all, Tom Watt. Thank you very much, Tom. It was brilliant to do a podcast with you for the first time, and I hope this is not the last. Absolutely. Looking forward to the second time. And again, I would also like to thank Andy for bringing <laughs> Jupiter <laughs> into my life. I'm going to be sure to spread the news far and wide. Don't thank me. Thank the Wachowskis. So well, I like to thank thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please subscribe to the Patreon. Um, there's uh, several tiers. I should have had this written down. Uh, I don't, that's all I know. Just subscribe. There's tiers. If you pay, you pay seven dollars. You get so much content that that you you won't know what to do with interviews upon interviews upon interviews upon more interviews. Uh, so look out for that. Um, thank you very much, and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
Chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.